Well, good evening, friends. As always, it's good to be here and it's good to see you. Lord willing, next weekend, I'm uh, going to a men's retreat. I'm speaking at the Madoc men's retreat at a hunting camp somewhere up in the middle of nowhere. I really don't know what I'm in for. I'm not sure I'm going to compare notes with Kate when she gets back from camping. And we will see which of us was most shocked by what we saw. I think at the bottom it said, and if you want, bring your guns. So it's all target shooting that they're going to do. I have four messages that I'm bringing there. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to practice the first one on you folks tonight. That's okay. Uh, the messages are all found in Colossians. Three of them are in Colossians 3. We're going to look at just verses 1 to 4 tonight. It's the first one. And then the fourth one is found in uh, just the beginning of Colossians chapter 4. And I'm going to give the men four words. And we're going to look at that first word tonight. Uh, first word is refocus. And the second word will be remove. The third word they'll hear will be replace. And the fourth word they'll hear will be recommit. So tonight, you get the first R. We're going to take a look at refocus. In a fallen world, we know there are biblical commands and teachings that apply to everyone. We see them in Scripture in many places. But some are clearly just for non-believers. And some commands are clearly only for Christians. And with God as sovereign master of all creation, he understands what we need when we need it, how much we need of it, and for what length of time we need it. We, of course, don't have that same kind of perspective. We don't see beginnings from ends, and we seldom see what happens in between. We just see the present. We try to anticipate. Sometimes we try to guess what the future will be, but we're never, we're never really sure. In our present world, we even looked at it this morning, a world that seems turned upside down and inside out as we face the devious lies and narratives that run counter to the biblical narrative, it's important to go back to certain basic teachings and promises that were made directly for believers. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. Because there are times when we can lose sight of what's most important and we get sidetracked. Get sidetracked onto things that are less important. Financial matters can absorb an inordinate amount of energy and create a tremendous amount of stress. Extended family issues can cause high levels of anxiety. Social issues that seem to threaten the very fabric of, our, of, our, of a sane society. Now these issues, and others like them, they do need to be addressed. They do. They need to be faced, but in an appropriate way and in a timely manner. It's when they become the dominant force. It's when they become the directing force. When they become that force that seems to push everything else off to the side. The kind of thing that when we wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's the first thing that pops into our mind, that thing we wanted to set aside, that thing we said, Lord, I'm going to give that to you, and then we just take it back and we wrestle with it all the more. These things can be spiritually detrimental if we have an improper focus. So the call here isn't just these first four verses of, uh, of this chapter of Colossians. Uh, we have a refocusing of our attention, hopefully of our priorities, of our focus onto things that will do us the most spiritual good, will do the church the most good, will do other believers the most good, will do unbelievers the most good as we seek to live out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. 
And especially in a time when our life gets busy and the demands on our resources are many and we seem sometimes to be running somewhat dry. So let me read verses 1 to 4 again uh, before we go into them. So Paul begins, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on, minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So see briefly in the first place that this is a command for believers only. He starts out with that little line, if then you have been raised with Christ. So he's talking to believers. It's a condition, it's a caveat in terms of what it is he's going to say. What follows is for believers only. What he's about to teach and command, it's impossible for anyone who's not a follower, a believer in Christ. They may make attempts at it, they may make efforts, but they'll never be successful because they're outside of the power that's required to do these things well. We understand that to be outside of Christ is to be dead, dead in sin, not just wounded, not just sick, but dead, unable to pursue spiritual matters. To them, this teaching will be absurd. It'll be ludicrous, offensive, laughable. It'll ultimately be incomprehensible. They will not be able to understand it because this What Paul's going to talk about here is spiritually discerned. And it requires the spirit to discern spiritually. And that's only um, in the realm of believers. So for believers, he's saying, listen up. Number two, in his effort to get us to refocus, he uses two similar imperatives, commands, directives. Then he gives a number of reasons as to why it is we should follow them. So the imperatives, these are the commands or the obligations that are given to us. They're fairly straightforward in terms of what they're saying. The application becomes, I think, a little more challenging. But in verse 1, he says, seek the things that are above. And in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. They're not identical commands, but they both redirect our attention heavenwards. Before our conversion... We know, we remember, we were absolutely fixated on earthly things. Things that aren't necessarily illegitimate in and of themselves, but it had to do with jobs, it had to do with family, it had to do with health, it had to do with security, insurance, pensions, paying off mortgages, fixing the car when you're trying to pay off your mortgage. There were challenges, and it it drew all of our attention uh, to things on this earth health and wealth and family and possessions, even our own self-value, worldly issues and cares. That's where our attention was. These were the things that we sought after. These are the things we hungered for. These are the things we poured ourselves into, we spent ourselves on. But we're reminded here that we've been given a, a new direction. We've been given a new set of commands. We've been given a new area on which we are to hunger and spend ourselves on. Not to look down. It's not even to look around. But it's look up. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. He wants us to look up. Matthew 6 verses 31 to 33 says this. This is Jesus. Therefore do not be anxious saying. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Well those are the earthly things. 
Right? Those are the things that most people are caught up in, and they're legitimate. But, he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus tells us to seek the kingdom. And when we seek the kingdom, it means we're really searching out the king. That's the focus of the kingdom, is the king. It's King Jesus. And where is he? Well, he's above. He's in the heavenly places. He's in the heavenly realms. He's at the side of his father in heaven. So our minds, which form the basis for what we think, of course, and what we care about, how we feel, uh, what we see as essential, they're not to be anchored in worldly events and worldly situations. And friends, I know how easy that is to say and how difficult it is to follow through on. I know how much my own feet at times are anchored in this world. Sometimes so much thinking, you know, Lord, if you don't come back for a while, that's okay because things are okay right now. There are other people in the world where things aren't okay and they're saying, Lord, Maranatha, come quickly, deliver us from these things. So we need to be careful that we don't, in the comforts and the blessings that God gives, that we get carried away and think too much of our earthly pleasures and our earthly comforts. Because everything we see and meet here, we understand everything, no matter its glory or its importance, will either be left behind when we die or it will be burned up when the Lord returns. It's all temporal. It's all temporary. It's not as if these things carry no value. I'm not saying that at all, or no meaning. They simply can't be the foundation on which our thoughts, our mind, dwells in such a, a consistent and steady way. Our hopes, our aspirations, they need to settle on something more than what we can feel and see around us. We remember that once we are drawn into the light of the gospel of Christ and believed in him, our attention, our focus fundamentally shifted. It did. Not always in everyday living, but we know that fundamentally as believers, that's where our attention is now focused. It's on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why does he have to redirect our focus so forcefully? Well, because he knows us. He knows our tendency. Our tendency, our natural bent, is to set our mind on things that are on the earth. We're comfortable with things we can see and touch. We're less comfortable with things that are invisible, things we can't see, things we're asked to believe and take on faith. And we do that by God's grace, but it's a challenge because we like, we like our senses. And when we're asked to look beyond our senses, it can become a challenge. And we need to be reminded again and again uh, to refocus. So the object of our gaze, our attention, our desire as believers is now to be heavenward. That's the point, of course, he's trying to get across. Not above as, as in way up in the sky. Uh, there's nothing wrong with if you're out in, at night, you're at a campfire, you're out for a walk, you see the stars, and you look up, you, you praise God, you, you're just thankful for what it is you see in the creation he's given to us. That's it's absolutely legitimate. But keep in mind that God is not up there. God is here. God is everywhere. As a matter of fact, at every point, creation, God is there in all his fullness. So you don't have to go far. So the looking up, the looking heavenwards is not a physical necessarily raising of the eyes. Though that can be helpful because it can take our attention off the things that are around us. But it's to rise above the temporal plane and seek to see what's in the spiritual plane and see that Jesus is there at the right hand of God. 
So we're striving to see and participate on that plane above the physical. And we're to seek. That's the command he gives to us. And then we're to set our minds. That's the second imperative that he gives to us. To seek. You know what it's like. Who here has played hide and seek? The goal is, what happens? One person? What do they do? Nope. First person, what does he do? She do? They hide. And then you count to whatever. All the people hide. And then that one poor sucker who had to count, they count to 100 in like four seconds. Right? You know what it's like. You can barely get out of the room. And then you go seek them. And that requires effort, thought, energy. You've got to be creative because people are creative when they hide. So if you really hunger for something, if you're really after something, you will make an effort to seek, to pursue, to search out, to hunger for, as if it's a great prize or a great treasure. That's the, the impetus of that word seek. It's not just to take a general glance and see if you see it. No, it's to move towards it and to pursue it with energy. To set your minds on things above. I think what he's telling us here is that our thoughts should primarily run to the heavenly realms and that should shape our character, our attitudes, our aspirations. That should be the kind of the guiding principle when it comes even to looking at careers or looking at at potential spouses, um, looking at um, whether or not you should buy this or not buy this or move here or not move here. Uh, the first thought shouldn't necessarily be financial, shouldn't necessarily be career move. The first question we should be asking is, Lord, this, this is what's on my mind. Is this legit? Is this in my own best interest? Is this for the good of me and for my family? Um, I remember going to a, to a, really and I went to marriage counseling. Um, wasn't counseling, it was a marriage seminar. Don Theobald was running it. And uh, we have a lot of appreciation for Don. And he ran it over about uh, 10 weeks, Tuesday nights. And uh, so we went. There were things we were struggling with. Probably more so I was struggling with. And as a result, Mary Lynn thought it would be good if I got certain things straightened out. And she was absolutely right. Don made this one comment. I don't think it's an actual, it's not a biblical command. But he made this comment on the very last night. And he said, if taking on another job or the job you do hinders you from loving your wife the way Christ loved the church, he said, then you should consider change. You should consider change. Don't think finances. Don't think career opportunities. But if you're not loving your wife and the job is getting in the way of you doing that, then you should reconsider whether or not you should be doing that job. That hit me like an arrow to the heart. Next morning, I went into school, and I resigned as school head. Affected the following year. I didn't just walk out on them, but um, wouldn't have been very Christian. But it really struck me that, no, this, is, this job emotionally is getting in the way. It drains me. And I go home, and all I want to do is escape because I got nothing left. And the Lord convinced me it's not right. You should do less of that and more of what you were really called to do and that was to teach i just went back into straight teaching and things things improved somewhat you'll have to ask mary lynn if they improved all that much but they did uh, i think they did improve for a while so this is this idea of setting your mind do we ask the lord first 
Is this the right thing? Is this a good thing for me to do? So we're called on to refocus our thoughts and our desires because our desire now is for righteousness and for holiness, not for money, not for worldly security and not for popularity and all the things that go hand in hand. We know how quickly those things can be taken away. We know how fast those things can fade and disappear. Um, I've ne I'll never understand uh, the TSX, ever, the stock exchange. Why it drops, why it climbs. Like there's a little rumor out there, oh, the rumor wasn't true, up it comes. And why this stock does this, I know there are reasons, but no one really understands it because if they did, they would have made like $25 trillion. But they don't. There's winning, there's losing. and It's the kind of thing where, where if, that, if that becomes the, the focal point of who we are and what it is we're all able to do, we can lose them just like that. It'd be more effective if I could snap my fingers, but I can't. There are either unforeseen circumstances. Sometimes it's foolishness on our own part. We do stupid things and we pay the price because of what it is we do. Sometimes it's an overeager government stretching in and seeking to oppose its worldview on everyone else. And that can be a challenge. And it can affect us um, in terms of our freedoms, of course. It can affect us in terms of our financial status, our ability to work, and so on. So in our families, our communities, our workplaces, we need to be the ones who are looking up. You need to be the ones who are looking up so you can encourage others to look up. I mean, I can't help but think of those situations where you're walking down the street and you could do this anytime and just stand on the street and do this. I guarantee you, within 30 seconds, there'll be five people standing around you going, what's he looking at? Well, a bit of a silly example, but people will follow. They'll follow your gaze, especially if they see you being soundly grounded. When things get difficult and challenging and everybody around you seems to be losing their heads and you see people that are just calm and resting and trusting, while well, you go and you, you want to know what it is they're thinking and who it is they're looking at. Well, we can encourage one another by saying this, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord in this situation and he will, um, he will be a blessing to you. Well, there's the commands. The commands, the imperative, seek the things that are above Set your mind on things that are above, the heavenly places where Christ is. Well, then we have three reasons that he gives in these verses. These are the justification for the command to look up. One, uh, we have this in verse one, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So things that are above, I think it speaks of spiritual matters found where the Son and the Father dwell. You look to where Jesus is. It's a spiritual place where the angels of God, I believe saints promoted to glory, they sing praises to him and they worship him with a moral perfection that we cannot yet understand, something we long for, but we don't yet experience. And once we're looking there, we're, we're primarily focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, with Mary Lynn, as she was preparing to go to glory, We would talk at times about who she might see, you know, family, friends, whatever. And she just said, I just want to see Jesus. 
It's not that she didn't want to see other people, but her primary desire was to see Jesus. And that's, that's what we're to hunger for. We're looking to see Jesus every day, every day of our lives. We're looking to see him. We see him in the written word. We hear him in the preached word. We, we see him in the world around us. We, the spirit of God who is in us is in us to help us glorify Christ. He, the spirit glorifies the son. And that takes place in us. So the, the focus, uh, I've repeated that many times. I'm sorry if I have, but it's to be primarily on Jesus Christ, the king. Even while we're still engaged in our battle with sin in this world, as children of God, our primary focus has to be on God and the things of God. And this is one way in which we honor and worship him. We give him our attention. Um, I like that book. I haven't read it that you talked about tonight. And uh, listening is, it's one of the lost skills. Uh, if you come across someone who's a good listener, you will know. These are people who don't, wiggle in their seats, look away, look for an escape, a door as you're talking to them. These are people who just listen and listen. And it's an appreciated skill when we can find it. Well, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be those who listen. And we listen to what the Lord teaches us in the word and in preaching and in teaching. So we give him our attention. We seek his face in prayer and in reading and in meditating on the word that he's breathed out for our spiritual benefit. That's how we, that's how we meditate upon the things of God. And at the right hand of God is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that after ascending back to heaven, after his resurrection, he took up his position of authority from which he continues to rule the cosmos at the right hand of the Father. He's seated because his work on earth for the salvation of his people is complete. As Christians, we understand that we're now found in Christ. That Jesus Christ is our new identity. It's why we lovingly take the name Christian. I mean, believer is a great name as well, but it's not as good as Christian. Because that identifies us with our king. It identifies us with Christ because that's where our life is. Without him, we would be back to being nothing. So why would we want to strive and seek him where he may be found? Well, we do that because he's found above. Jesus' physical body, his human form is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And it's in heaven that we'll one day see him face to face. Then we'll reign with him in perfect resurrected bodies, like his own resurrected body in a new heavens and a new earth. Our heart will always follow our treasure, won't we? We need to treasure Christ. We need to treasure the things of God because that will draw our heart. And it's no longer on earth, but in heaven. So we need to consider, spend time thinking about who the triune God is, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will yet do. It's an endless area of focus and study. His promises are many, and he'll keep everyone to the last detail. So there's the first reason. It's where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Second reason is found in the first part of verse 3. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When the Bible talks about salvation from sin, it represents deliverance in the starkest of human terms. Uh, we understand going from darkness to light, and that's one contrast that Scripture gives us. 
But a more extreme contrast is to go from death to life. Because we know what death is. We know what dead means. Dead means dead. There's no life at all. There's no way for that dead person to cry out on their own power. The only way that dead person can seek after God is for God to grant to them the spirit of God and to regenerate that individual and then open their hearts to receive the word of God and grants them faith, grants us faith to believe in his son for salvation. So it's this translation, a relocation from death to life. Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But then we know the Lord in his mercy intervened. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I remember Carl going through, I think, a series of sermons. And I just remember him going over what it meant to be in Christ, what it meant to be with Christ. And I was really struck by that idea of being found in Christ. That in terms of our soul and our worth and our hope and our future, our salvation, it's all found in Jesus. And apart from him, uh, we have none of those things. So we were dead. God made us alive by his mercy, a spiritual resurrection. And so God enabled us then to die to sin, which was the root cause of our initial deathly existence. Romans 6, 2 says, how can we who die to sin still live in it? You ever ask yourself that question? Lord, I've died to sin. How can I still live in it? Why doesn't it just go away? Well, the battle certainly goes on. So here Paul is building on the groundwork that he laid, laid earlier on in the letter. Because of who Christ is and what he's done and who we now are in him, there is an acceptable, God-pleasing way to live life. He spoke about that back in the first chapter when he was talking about godly living and how God grants us everything that's required for godly living. Well, where does he grant it? Well, he grants it to us in Jesus Christ. So it's no longer the way of sin. It's the highway of holiness, the road of righteousness. That's the pathway that we should be on with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. Romans 6, verses 6 to 8, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So our battle with sin, even though it goes on, we understand that we have died with Christ and our life is now entirely caught up and bound up in him. And then we see the new habitat for life, that little phrase, hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. Can anything be more secure than that? To be hidden in Christ with God. Our life is found there. Christ is now in reality our very life. 1 John 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. John 1.4, In him, Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. So our life now is entirely bound up 
with the Savior. He has purchased us, redeemed us, saved us. We're his. We're his body and soul, and we need to rejoice in that. And we rejoice more in that when we look up. We rejoice more in that when we're not getting caught up with what's around, and we focus more on what is above. Well, lastly, we come to the third reason. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We talk about the promises of God. Well, here's a great promise. He says, when this, then this. That's a promise from God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, perhaps there is a slight illusion given here about Christ being displayed in our lives in the present day. Now, that little phrase that said, when Christ, who is your life, appears, some have suggested that's appearing even now in our life, in what it is we say and how it is we live and how we are Christ imagers. And so people can get at least a glimpse of who Christ is. We hope through our character and our attitude, our aspirations and so on. People hear and see the gospel through us and, and see that picture. And even if this is merely subtle in this passage, it's a good reminder to us that we are image bearers of Jesus. And we should guard our character and actions and words because people will judge Christ on us. You say you're a Christian and you're a hypocrite. I don't want anything to do with you. You say you're a Christian, but you get angry all the time. What good is Christianity? You say you're a Christian and they, the list goes on. <clears throat> so we need, to, we need to guard ourselves that we don't allow the world or unbelievers to be able to criticize or denounce the gospel because we're not living it out well in our lives. I think the main import of this verse, though, is that Christ is coming back. Christ is going to return, just as he promised. He's gone away for a set period of time. And in the fullness of that time, we understand that the heavens will open in the blink of an eye and the entire world will be aware of him. I'm not sure if you ponder that very much. Like, in the blink of an eye. Like, I'd be talking, and before I can finish this word, he's here. And it's over. And it begins. I'd always picture before there'd be kind of this rising over the horizon. People would be going, what is that? Who is that? And I don't think that's what Scripture teaches. There's going to be a trumpet, and in the blink of an eye, the Lord is here, and the end has come. It's something that we need to long for, something we need to hunger after, but it's also something we need to prepare for and, and trust the fact that in the fullness of time, this will take place. Even though people will say, 2,000 years, where is he? There were people in Paul's day saying, where is he? Like, it's not new to have people wondering, why hasn't the Lord come back? Well, it's because it's not the fullness of time yet. When that time comes, he will be here. And in that split second, whatever it might be, so much will happen. It won't be measured by time because time will have ceased and eternity, that timeless, wondrous expanse will begin. So we're to be ready. Our hearts are to be packed and ready to go, so to speak. Right? So we don't keep our suitcases of these worldly things around us. We try to make sure we're prepared to see Jesus. So these are some of the reasons we look up. We're bound for glory. We're going to appear with him in those perfectly resurrected bodies, never to suffer pain or loss or disappointment ever again. 
So we look up with expectation and excitement and hope. And just as the Reformation reminds us to always be reforming, because it wasn't just a once we're reformed, that's it, and there's no more work to do. There's always reforming that needs to take place. We need to regularly refocus. We do. To readjust our glasses, to get our eyes off the earth with all its issues, and to look heavenward. To look for the kingdom, and to find the kingdom, we look for the king. And the king is in heaven. It's where he dwells, and one day he'll take us home to be with him. So what do we say as a people of God? Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word tonight. Thank you for Paul, Lord, and the letters that you preserved and Lord, the way in which you spoke to us through him. This is the breathed out word of God. This isn't just man's invention. Lord, this is thus says the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you've granted us the ability to see and to read. And through the power of your spirit, Lord, to appreciate, understand, and seek to apply these things. Again, Lord, these lessons, these teachings here, they're all for believers. They're all for Christians, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. So for those here who love him, may we refocus even this night and fix our eyes most, more determinedly upon the Lord Jesus himself. And if there are those who are still outside the kingdom, those who have not yet bowed the knee to Christ, we pray, Lord, that you might reveal yourself to them, even this night. You might open their minds and their hearts to see the glory of Jesus Christ and the wonder of his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, that they too might, through salvation in him, look forward to his great and glorious return. Oh, Lord, we prayed a couple of times tonight to save the lost. We know only you can do it. So, Lord, we ask that you might use even what's been preached this night to accomplish spiritual good in the souls of people. If we ask these mercies in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. <coughs>